congratulate you on 50 years of serving this area. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm just so impressed with everything. I, I was with you a number of years ago. I preached for you uh, once was for a, um, a sweetheart banquet type of setting and, and then in the church services here. And, uh, but it was, it's been quite some time. My wife, this is her first time here. And I wonder if I might just take a moment to have Laura stand for just a moment, if you will. She loves this being the center of attention. God bless you. And I'll hear about that later. <laughs> Amen. 47 years she's, she's uh, tolerated me. And so that makes her a little bit of a, of a heroine of the faith in and of itself. And the two of us serving the Lord together 43 years and uh, so I've been with you in the past. It's been quite some time. And I, I was concerned when you went through a pastoral transition. But now I'm in a position to congratulate you on a superb choice of pastor and pastor's wife. And to see, and, and bring in Laura. We came by yesterday afternoon to, so I could, you know, I like to reacclimate myself at the area and have no surprises when I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach. Like, okay, where's that church located? And uh, make sure I'm in the right farm field. And uh, so uh, brought her by, and we, we were both wowed uh, by what we see here, but, but her even more so being the first time. And uh, sometimes you can take for granted God's blessings. And I hope that you'll appreciate uh, what I'm seeing here today is uh, certainly above average, and I, sh- I appreciate the striving for excellence. I, I appreciate having, uh, for lack, you know, I understand it's not, a, it's not a separate room, but having the books or the bookstore area in the back of the auditorium. Many times the books are kind of hidden away in a side room, and people don't really get a chance to, to, to interact with them. I want to strongly encourage you, don't take that for granted. Uh, avail yourself of that offer for the $5 patriotic book today and, and always have a book in play. I try to be constantly reading. Pastor made mention of the quotes I share with preachers. I, I, I'm constantly reading and absorbing and then trying to share that with others. And I, I want to encourage you to, to, to always be reading something. Readers are leaders and uh, leaders are readers. And so you want to, you young people, don't, you, I understand it can be a challenge to pick up sometimes, but if you want to, you know, I'm 18, I'm an adult. Well, you know, how about acting like it <laughs> and uh, behaving like one and training your brain. And you don't have to wait till you're 18. You can do it when you're 11, 12, 13 years old, start training your brain for its future. And I know that's a challenge. We have a public school system that is... You know, it's, uh, there's the three R, we used to call the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and we have a public school system that's against all three of those things, but, uh, but you're going to have to really educate yourself and train yourself, but take that on as a challenge, uh, you know, to, to not just, you know, slough your way through life, but really, really make something of yourself. Yeah. A lot of that is learning how to read. If, if you learn to read and learn how to think, you can accomplish almost anything in, in this life in America. But you deprive yourself of those skills, of simple skills, reading and thinking, and you handicap yourself. Don't blame the system. Or don't blame you know, your race blaming another race. If, you, if, you, if you're not taking advantage of the opportunities to hear for you now in America, then, then the onus is on you. Right. Not on me, right. not on that pastor, not on your parents, not on the system. It's on you. And uh, I, for, for, I, I, for one, rejoice in being an American. 
Uh, my people uh, came from the Netherlands in the early 1900s. And, uh, but the moment that our people became American citizens, then what you saw today, those graphics of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence and those who fought in the Revolution and those that, that gave us our Constitution and those that gave us our great government, those became my people. They, they, they're, they're different. You know, the, the British race is different than the Germanic race that, that my people a little more uh, related to. Uh, but different races, but those are my people. George Washington is my president. And so on, on down through. And so I don't, I don't know if your people came over originally on a, on a passenger ship or a steam freighter or a slave ship, or, on an air, or, or came across the border to the south or from the north or flew in or however they got here, you know, once you adopt this as your country, this, the, her whole history is yours. All the advantages, all the privileges of being an American become yours unless you choose not to avail yourself of them. And so, but do take advantage of, of being a part of this great nation. It's such a joy to be here. Thank you so much for it. Uh, let's, let's take a moment. I know we've had prayer, but prayer is indispensable. What we're about to do, let's take a moment once more to pray, and then we will progress. Father, thank you so much for what you are doing in this church this day. We thank you, Lord, for visitors, and pray that they will be especially blessed, that they'll find here, Lord, a place where they sense there's something unique about this place. It goes beyond simply special. There's something magnetic about this. And they may think it's the, the friendly people or the nice facilities or the air conditioning, but really, Lord, it's the Spirit of the Lord being in this place. I pray, Lord, that they will return and they will hear Pastor Brown preach and that they will fall in love with Pastor and Mrs. Brown and with the church family. And they will desire, Lord, to unite themselves with this place. If they're from a different area, may they find a church of like faith and practice. If perchance anyone here, member or not, first timer have been here for decades, but not yet sure of their eternal salvation, I pray this will be the day they realize their need of a Savior and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, inviting him to be their Savior, calling upon him, surrendering their sins to him, and receiving his free gift of eternal life. Lord, please work in hearts, we ask this day. And those who are truly saved, may they be challenged, Lord, to fall that much more deeply in love with you and want to do that much more for you. For all this, we thank you and praise you in your precious name. Amen. 240 years ago, this Tuesday, July 4th, 1776 was the exact date, our Declaration of Independence was signed. We as a nation declared ourselves to be independent from the British motherland. Our forefathers were being denied their rights as Englishmen, so they declared their liberty from the crown of the United, United Kingdom of Great Britain. The British government was not willing to surrender its valuable North American colonies. So our independence, our independence had to be won with musket ball, cannonball, sword and bayonet. Good Americans and good Englishmen by the tens of thousands suffered in the revolution and many died. 
The price of our liberty was and continues to be the blood of patriots. The blood of patriots had to be shed in the Revolutionary War for us to gain our independence. The blood of patriots had to be shed in the War of 1812 for us to maintain our liberty. Patriots, both Anglo and Hispanic, shed their blood in the Mexican-American War for the sake of freedom. And by the way, it's worth remembering, at the Alamo, there were as many, uh, they were all Texicans. There were as many Mexicans as were Texans as far as, you know, Anglos that came over from the U.S. into what at that time was Mexican territory who fought for their freedom from, from uh, the oppression that was coming at that time out of Mexico City. In the war between the states, patriots wearing both blue and gray gave the last full measure of devotion as the Union's president, Abraham Lincoln, expressed it. Then came the Spanish-American War, World War I and World War II, in which we conquered, in turn, the dictators of Catholic Spain, Imperial Germany, Nazi Germany, Fascist Italy, and Imperial Japan. Then our patriots shed their blood to keep South Korea free from communist tyranny after they were brutally attacked by North Korea with the assistance of the Soviet Union and communist China. And I, for one, if there are any of our rapidly aging and departing from us Korean War veterans that may happen to be here, I, I want to thank you because one, one of the ones who is ultimately saved from having to, to live under the oppressions of a, of a communist regime was a lady named Kim. And, and I know I, two-thirds of the Koreans are named Kim, but, but Kim uh, married an American soldier, came to the United States, and uh, after his death, she remarried a man, and she's now known as Kim Tatum. But uh, Kim and her uh, American soldier husband had a, had a little girl, Re Rebecca. And Rebecca, half Korean, married my son, William. That's proved to be one of the most marvelous wives, mothers and daughters-in-law that one could imagine. I'm so grateful that you gave us the gift. Not, you weren't thinking of them specifically, just one of millions of South Koreans that you saved, and we're so grateful for you. Then came Vietnam, in which Americans fought and died to protect a small, seemingly insignificant country from the ravages of communist aggression. And anyone wants to go back and study that chapter in our history, you, you shouldn't feel, feel repulsed that America was there. You ought to be proud that, uh, that we gave the, the South Vietnamese people, as well as those in Laos and Cambodia, a few more years to breathe freedoms there, and our missionaries a little bit more time to see more of their people saved. And we're now getting fruit from that all these decades later. Uh, the, the gospel is in many ways flourishing now in those, in those areas despite ongoing persecution from the communist authorities in Laos and, and in uh, now united Vietnam. So thank you for that. It, it was not a waste. I know our Congress uh, gave up and surrendered that country, but thank you for what you did. Otherwise, it was a one war. I, I, I don't want to go off on that tangent, but Thank you for your service if you'd served in Vietnam. The second Gulf War of 2003 
finally destroyed the power of Saddam Hussein. In the, and that followed the first Gulf War, 1990-91, when we liberated Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. Then, we, then ultimately he was captured and executed legally. In the long, bitter war we fought in Afghanistan, we sought to destroy the wicked enemies of liberty known as the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. And if you served in that conflict, I mourn with you that a American president turned that country back over to our enemies, uh, enhancing them with a few, no, not few, several billion dollars worth of American military technology and armaments and ammunition. But nonetheless, you are to be commended for what you did for, or attempted to do, and it's not your loss. It's a political loss, not a military one. We continue to struggle against Islamic terrorism at home and all over the globe. The litany of our national conflicts does not include the dozens of smaller actions in which our patriots have shed their blood. One tract I've used with effect over the years comes from a couple whose son was one of a relative handful of casualties, died making sure that the little Caribbean island country of Grenada would remain free. And he was a Christian young man with Christian parents out of an independent Baptist church. And they wrote a gospel tract, Our Son Died for Freedom. And, uh, and I've, I've put it out quite a bit and thousands of copies of that. But they use it to, to point out that what their son did was just simply a, a, an illustration of really what Christ did for us all, dying that we may, might all be free. Every war since World War II, with perhaps the exception of the war on terror, has involved no direct threat to the territorial United States. While there have been legitimate American interests in all these various places, we have fought primarily to protect the the rights of fellow human beings who are non-Americans. And by the way, uh, of various races ethnicities and social situations. They didn't all look like the, the, the predominant picture which you think of many times as an American, though there is no really now any, any such image to be conjured up, but we, we, we are so wonderfully intermixed. But I'm just saying that, that, that they didn't all look like Europeans. We fought for Asiatics, we fought for Africans, we fought for, for Latinos, we fought all over the world for freedom. And it wasn't anything that would have enhanced our national interests all that much. Most of those people did not have the capacity to protect themselves. We stepped in to help them. By the blood of patriots, we have maintained our own independence and freedoms. And by the blood of patriots, we have also paid the price of freedom for many other people around the world, knowing that the advance of their liberty was ultimately the defense of our own. As you gaze upon, whether it's the American flag here on the on the platform or one of these that surround you on God bless this God and Country Sunday, I want you to gaze upon that standard representing our country. Here's to the red of it. There's not a thread of it. No, nor a shred of it. And all the spread of it from foot to head, but heroes bled for it, faced steel and led for it. Precious blood 
was shed for it, bathing it in red. Here's to the white of it, thrilled by the sight of it, who knows the right of it, but feels the might of it through day and night. Woman, womanhood's care for it made manhood dare for it. Purity's prayer for it kept it so white. Here's to the blue of it, heavenly view of it, star-spangled hue of it, honesty's due of it, constant and true. Here's to the whole of it. Here's to the soul of it, red, white, and blue. Would you please take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. About 2,000 years ago, another declaration of independence was signed. It was hung over the cross of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell you and me what the crucifixion of Jesus accomplished for us, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Everything against you, between you and God, was put on the ground. All those, listen, this book is filled with things that God expects you to do, and you've not done them. Those ordinances were nailed to his cross. This book is filled with things you are forbidden to do, and you have wantonly done them, and you stand guilty before God for committing them, and he nailed those ordinances to the cross. And when he died, he took, the, he took all that guilt away from you, if you're willing to receive what he did in your place. This declaration was sealed by the divine blood of the Savior to make it official, meaningful, and forever binding. The blood shed on our behalf by God the Son remains in God's sight and in our consciousnesses the eternal testament of God's grace. Grace means you don't deserve it, you can never earn it, but Christ offers it to you lovingly, despite and not because of yourself. And almost all things are, by the law, purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. God had no choice, but someone had to pay the price for your sins. Either a God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ who knew no sin dies in your place, or you die in your place. And we're not just simply talking about physical dying. We're talking about that which goes on forever, which the Bible refers to as the second death in the lake of fire. The Bible also says, if, as you're holding here in 1 John 5, dropping down to verse 8, 1 John 5, 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Have you had somebody that you took their word for it? You, they had earned your trust? And just because they said so, you believed it? Well, that's what we're seeing there in verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God who cannot lie is greater. It says, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And that's why you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I have that witness resounding within me. By the way, if it were not so, I, I think your, your, your pastor and his staff and their, their, their wives and, and many of the elders of the church would feel the same way. If we did not sense the reality 
of, 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 of Christ, if we did not sense the veracity of the Bible, we would want nothing to do with it. There's a reason why we didn't go that religious realm, that spiritual direction, that philosophy, because they proved false. The reason why we stuck with this is that it has, it has proven true. We have the witness within ourselves. Verse 10 again, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him, hath made God a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. It's not in you. It's not in some religion. It's in Christ. Verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life. And all these tragic words, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're a living dead man outside of Jesus. And by the way, you'll soon be a, dead, a dying, forever dying living creature, a worm, as it were, in eternity to come if you don't have Christ as your Savior. Verse 13, this, this is the verse, my wife's, this has become my wife's life verse because it was on this verse that she was born again. Have you been raised a Lutheran? Believing that from one Sunday to the next, from one time you took Lord's communion or Lord's supper to the next, you could not be sure of your salvation only in those few moments immediately after receiving the Eucharist, so to speak. Could you know for sure you're saved? And then the rest of the week, you, you, you know, as you sin and sin and sin and sin, there's the ever-growing doubt. And you won't know until you stand before God to give an account and, and receive your judgment, whether you're truly saved and going to heaven or lost and going to hell. That's how she was raised until a Bible college student showed her, 1 John five thirteen, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have here and now in this life, right this moment, eternal life, eternal life, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. And how wonderful it is to know that if my wife and I are involved in a tragic car accident, no doubt one of scores that happen all around this area on these country roads, and if we're, we become likewise victims, that we will have gone immediately from the body to be present with the Lord. And our family will know that. And by the way, if you're saved and you've never fessed up to your family and they're still not sure of your salvation, the sweetest thing you can do, if it's honest and true, is assure them of that time and place when you ask Jesus to be your Savior. And if your memory can conjure up no such uh, remembrance, then you're simply not saved. You don't have a time and a place. I don't mean you have to necessarily know the date and the hour. Uh, it's, it's wonderful if you have that written down somewhere and can quote it. For me, it's roughly, uh, it, was, it was sometime in fall, I think it was September, when I was seven years old. That's been over 30 years I've been saved. Yeah. Actually, as of this fall, I will have been saved 60 years. Thank you for not believing that statement. Amen. So, <laughs> I, I, I hope I'm saying so niches. Honey, I can't believe he's that old. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm telling you, I am. I'm married to a grandmother. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. Um, that you may know that you have eternal life. A life that goes on when, when the body ceases to function, the soul has departed and gone to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You see, what's this latter part about? I know that the, la the last phrase makes us as independent Baptists a little bit nervous, but, but don't let it scare you off. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Can, can I summarize that for you very briefly? 
it, it's simply this. If you can trust Christ enough with your soul, you can trust Christ enough with everything in your life. <laughs> believed, in, believed on him that far, might as well believe on him with everything beyond that. He's worthy. He's trustworthy. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you access to the peace that can enter your, your heart only when you have received God's gift of eternal life from the nail-scarred hands of the very Savior who purchased it for you with his own blood. Upon receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and his gift of eternal life, the Holy Spirit of God will enter you and will be sealed within you so that it can never be lost to fill the void that has always existed in the human heart ever since Adam's original rebellion against God. Now the Spirit, the Lord, forgive me, now the Lord is that Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And by the way, don't get confused on that statement. This is not the false teaching of Christian liberty that's been popularized by many contemporary, that is to say carnal, that is to say rock and roll churches around us. It's not a liberty to, to, to become a wine-bibber, the liberty to you know, uh, marry and divorce and live with somebody with abandon. It's, it's, not, it's not the liberty to watch you know, your R-rated and X-rated movies without any twinge of conscience. Uh, it's not Christian liberty. Reference was made earlier to the bookmark you'll get from Christian Law Association. Dr. David Gibbs, one of the founders of CLA, put it so well that, that for us, biblically, liberty is not the freedom to do what you would do. Liberty is the freedom to do what God says you should do. That's true liberty. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I am now freed from the shackles that bound me to my old sins. The Holy Spirit allows us to sense that we've been set free from the enslaving power of sin and guilt and the instinctive paralyzing fear that seizes the heart as it contemplates death, judgment, and damnation. Isn't it interesting that the more these young people are taught about sexual revolution and liberation, the more desperate their situation becomes? They're not being freed. They're being bound up, enslaved. Is it any wonder that right now there's an, an epidemic of teenage suicide, especially among girls. They have, no, they have no hope for a future. If that's all life is, is just this junk behind which there's no true commitment, no love. There is a reason why. You, you know, once upon a time, you had to earn that first kiss at the marriage altar. Beyond, besides everything else, and, a, and, a, and a, a young man had to learn how to use his brain and use his... Uh, his his, his uh, words, as well as his basic bodily functions, to win that girl, he had to be able to express himself and win her heart. It wasn't just a matter of jumping in bed together. It had to be earned, and it had to be consented to by her father. And I'm about to rip this church wide open. I'm sorry, Brother Carrie, but <laughs> I'm just saying this is this. It's so much better. You know, can I, can I just, I, I don't mind saying my forefather's a lot smarter than me. And my generation's a lot smarter than, well, anyways, we're going. <laughs> than, than, than those that came after me. It's, it, you know, this is, they call it evolution. They call it progressivism. 
The worse things become, the more animalistic we become, the more we're supposedly evolving. Uh, I, I, see, I see from, uh, oh man, I'm brother, this, this, this is, things are loosening up here. We're going to get in trouble now. You ever, read a, you ever read a sermon by the great British preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and found yourself struggling to understand what the man's trying to communicate? Because he's writing at the level of the Engl- average Englishman of the late 1800s. And it's far beyond the average capacity of most of us today. And so it is with the King James Bible, written by the greatest a- a- assemblage of scholars the world's ever known. I, I know that the signers of the Declaration, I know that those who gave us the Constitution were great minds but they were dwarfed by the men who gave us the King James Bible that God used to preserve his word for us for these last days. And I know you have a hard time understanding it, but how about you work at coming up to God's level of thinking instead of dragging his word down to your lower level of thinking? Oh boy, here we go. The most wonderful aspect of the liberty we have in Christ is that it conquers the guilt of the past, the sin of the present, and the fear of death in the future. You'll please turn to Hebrews 9, verse 24. Not far from where you are in 1 John is Hebrews 9, verse 24. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made of himself on behalf of your sins was perfect, complete, all-sufficient, and entirely satisfying to God the Father. Pastor, I'm a, I know a man's going to be very careful what he says in another man's pulpit. Maybe those will be, this is something you cannot say. I could say as a guest preacher. Can you please, young people, train your bladder enough to just handle a little bit of church and not, not disrupt everything by having to slip out to go potty? I've been there, done that. I grew up in church. I know what it is. I had it, I had it staked out about 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the start of every service. I knew that that, that old man was about to get up and preach, and I knew that was time to go to the bathroom and, and, and just daydream a little bit. Uh, and then one, and then did no actual real business. Then wander back into the service and go on from there. So anyway, just uh, just just hope that'll help from this point forward as, as I, after I depart. And uh, and if you don't like what I just said, he told me to say it. No, I, he did not. <laughs> he did not. It just happened. <clears throat> just happened to come to mind just now. Notice that the Bible teaches in Hebrews nine twenty four. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. And by the way, if your religion teaches an ongoing sacrifice of Jesus Christ and, having to, and, and him, him and having to shed his blood continuously, that's, that's the wrong faith. You got, it, you got it all wrong. He died once for all. And he doesn't need his blood shed ever again. So verse 26 goes on. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin. Notice by what means? By the sacrifice of himself in your place. Verse 27. And as it is appointed to men once to die. Oh, this, I don't really care about this. This is stupid. I don't care about this. Hey, you're going to die someday, man. You better get serious about this. Now you have no guarantee it's going to be when you're 60, 70, 80. I appreciate the, the brother here, 94 years old and looking great and still under his own power, and he can probably run rings around me right now. You have no guarantee of such a long, fruitful life. There's a lot of teenagers in these graveyards around us. 
So it says in uh, verse 27, and as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Because of that sacrifice of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you can have right here now, this morning, this day, God's gift of eternal life. Bestowed upon you freely by his grace. The moment you trust Jesus Christ enough to ask him for it. Say, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in him enough to simply tell him so? Is it such a big deal? Ye must be born again. For with the heart, believeth the mind, believeth the heart, with the mouth, confesses me into salvation. He wants to hear it from you. It wasn't enough for my wife that I simply felt warm fuzzies when I was in her presence. She wanted official. She wanted it said publicly. She wanted me to exchange those vows with her. And from that moment, and, and oh, by the way, the ring, similar to baptism, simply symbolized the act. But that moment that I pledged myself to her and she pledged myself to me, man, we, we've been hitched ever since. Amen. Properly, biblically. And I, and I would and just say to you that likewise with your salvation, why, what's the big deal about simply making it official? Lord Jesus, if there's any doubt about my salvation, would you please right here and now come into my heart, wash away my sins, and take me to heaven on thy die. I'm trusting no one and nothing else but you to take me to heaven. Oh, Lord, if you don't save me, there is no hope for me. Please save my soul. Something along those lines. Let's just, just get it done. Make it official. And then, then go get the ring on of baptism <laughs> just to show the world that you meant business and to have a good testament of him before others. If you'll do all that, then through his Holy Spirit, Jesus can guide you in life as well as keep you in death. Though you may feel forsaken by friends and loved ones, you can gain access to someone, whoever liveth, to make intercession for your soul, who will never leave you alone. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Every, every other human con, uh, situation you have can be compromised and lost. People will fail you. My heart aches when I hear uh, what they now call classic <laughs> rock and roll. It's someplace it would be somewhere, and I'm thinking, yeah, that person pledged his life to some girl, and it didn't last. And she gave her soul to some guy, and it didn't last. They've now had multiple relationships. Sometimes they're in marriage, and just quote unquote, you know, they're fornicating, so called. Living, living in marriage, you know, li living together, and uh, sometimes in a serial, just one after another, another. And uh, I found it so instructive, Pastor. When w one of my heroes growing up was Wilt Chamberlain, the great basketball player, who was officially seven one, but many think he was more like seven four to seven six in height. The one, the only man thus far to ever score a hundred points in a single basketball game. And uh, I'm. I, I failed at 99, but anyway. Uh, but, but, you know, only man ever to accomplish that. And he, he wants me in a statement I found very instructive. 
when I heard it as a young man. But I got, I got to see him in person a couple times. But uh, he, uh, he said, and th- this is not to emulate him, I'm just simply saying using him as uh, someone who would, who would know in a way that I don't. He said he talked about he'd had like some like 2,000 women or something or some phenomenal number of women he'd had intimate relations with during the course of his younger life. But then he had one woman he was married to 20 plus years. He says, I got more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment from that one woman than I did with all the others combined. Just do it God's way. Just do it right. But Jesus goes even above and beyond that. It is possible. Some in this room may have experienced what it is to be abandoned by a mate. To be abandoned by others you trusted and loved. But Jesus says, and you can trust his word, once you have him as your Lord and Savior, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It doesn't say so much about you. You sometimes will forsake him. But he'll never forsake you. As I close here this morning, the Lord impressed upon me to add a couple of brief thoughts. We're not doing too badly for time. Pastor said, you guys used to go until 1.30. So um, Jesus said, they didn't laugh. I think that must be real, brother. Man, I feel a lot of liberty now. Woo! Jesus said, now, now let me, I'm going to trick you. I'm going I'm to trap you. I'm going to make you feel, feel, some, a couple of you feel bad. But nonetheless, humor me, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall. Aha, I did, I did. Don't feel bad, because what you, what you quoted is in virtually every modern Bible perversion. The truth shall set you free. That is not what Jesus said. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So there's no real difference. There's a world of difference. July 4th, 1776, a declaration was made that, legally speaking, made us free. It did not set us free. It wasn't for seven more long tumultuous years of warfare that finally the Treaty of Paris was, was signed with the crown of Great Britain that set us free. So a lot, lot of fighting had to be done to get from made free to set free. And I want to say to you this morning that uh, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ made you free, but until you call upon the name of the Lord, you are not set free. And, and you're still bound in your sins, and you'll die in your sins, and you'll pay for your own sins if you don't let him set you free. One more thought to you that are saved. You say, man, I'm, I'm born again, and I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things, are, man, old, old things are passed away. Behold, old things are become new. But you're still dealing with what? Cigarettes, maybe, or alcohol, or these days, marijuana, or pornography, or and a, a, a wrong relationship on, you know, for, for some of us that think we're real holy, things just as bad to God, like laziness, pride, gossip, <laughs> that sort of thing. And it's like, man, I thought I got saved. How can this sin still be in my life? You were made free, but there may yet be a battle ahead for you to be set free. But he'll, he'll go through you. He'll help you get that victory if you're willing to fight the good fight of faith. You have to walk with him and let him get you through those, those things.
And victory can come if you don't give up. Just like our forefathers in this country, it would have been so easy at many times during the road. It looks so impossible. I'm telling you, you don't believe in God. Just study our history from the revolution forward, the miracles that God worked for us. And if that ain't enough for you, how about a little modern Israeli history? Watch God miraculously preserve that little tiny Jewish country surrounded by countries far larger with multiple times more population and sometimes far more armaments. And yet, miraculously, God keeps them going. It's, you can just see the hand of God, the miracle after miracle after miracle. But you know what? For no one does it come easy. If I just became a pastor, like Pastor Brown, then I could know what it is to be perfect as he is perfect. And may I suggest you have not spoken that length with Mrs. Brown. <laughs> there are things that he is dealing with. It's just that he hasn't succumbed to them. He's not quit. He's going on. And he's winning. He has to fight his own fight of faith and win victory upon victory. He hath made you free. It's your choice and your battle if you'll be set free. Now, praise God, when it comes to salvation, the only battle is with you. If you're willing to overcome your pride and, and your doubts and simply fall, upon, fall, fall at his feet and hug him and just em embrace him and trust him, then the battle was, was fought and won at Calvary. But everything beyond that, I like to say to people, salvation's free. Everything after that comes with a tremendous price you have to pay. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this celebration of what you have done for this great nation. Only great because America is good. Only good as defined biblically. Lord, as we've seen even in this last week and in recent months, we have opponents of biblical righteousness who want to call good evil and evil good. And we're seeing America being eroded at, at its foundation. But nonetheless, Lord, there remains enough of its greatness for us to celebrate her founding and all the ways in which you have blessed this nation. And to this day, we have liberties unknown to those in most of the world around us. I thank you, Lord, for the recent trip I took into Tijuana just going even a short distance across the border and back, amplified in my heart a love for my country and an appreciation for the heritage that's been given to me and the opportunities. And I pray, God, for these young people. They'll take full advantage of what's been given to them, bought at the price of blood. And now, Lord, we pray, too, for anyone that's here and they don't yet have the true liberty that can only come from you, that of being born again, that of, of, of receiving your gift of eternal life, that of having a new life as opposed to the old life, and an opportunity to experience true liberty. Lord, not to do what the flesh would, but to do what the Bible says we should, and to be able, Lord, to, to be able to be not just set free, but truly made free. Would you now please work in our midst we thank you, Lord, in your precious name. Pastor, I'll let you take from there.